Hi, so I'm glad you're here. There's a, there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's, we're, we're commemorating the, uh, or observing the, the 17th of Tammuz that, that fast, even though it's actually the 18th of Tammuz. So that's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there. But um, I want to discuss that. And I also want to discuss just um, the difference between um, mysticism and superstition because I think that that's a, a, an important boundary that, that we have to uh, uh, understand the, the parameters of and, and how to delineate between the two things. And also, um, since this is the time of year where they say that the Yetzirah grows stronger, meaning to say forces of negativity at this time of year uh, are seemingly increase um, in Tammuz and Av, and so I just want to talk about some strategies for how to deal with your own evil inclination, negativity, Sahara, whatever you want to call it. Just uh, ways to approach it and, and not let it get the best of you. Um, but the first thing that I want to do is sort of give you um, part two of a story that I told you last week. There's a kind of a, a new chapter to this um, uh, story and um, and and so here it is. So so uh, a very dear, wonderful, holy, special person, uh, Mikol Cohen, uh, Mikol Bat Shlomo HaKohen. Uh, she she passed away uh, a couple weeks ago now um, in a uh, like a car accident, ATV accident, and and uh, we've you know talked about how special she was and, and everything like that. But w- one thing in particular, um, we, we found hanging by the side of her bed a something that she had handwritten for herself. And it was this very incredible manifesto for life that she called God is Everywhere. And uh, someone typed it up. And we, we read it at her memorial service, and it's an awesome, awesome thing that's just an overview on life and how to proceed in, in life. And, and uh, I was so moved by it, I, I sent it to H.com, and H.com ran it, so, so really a good million people or, or more saw it, and, and the Jewish Journal just ran it, and everything like that. And, and uh, thanks to Jenny Gross Goldfarb. We have uh, an incredible art edition of it that, that's been made, and and uh, you can look forward to that as well. Um, so, so anyway, it really seemed like one of the things that really impressed me about it was it really seemed like a Jewish classic that 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 had been produced, and and it is, it really is. But I. I want to just give you part two of this story. So that was part one, the, the dissemination of this around the world and everything like that. So, so here's part two. Um, uh, there were only so many things that, that uh, her, her parents could bring back from her apartment. They brought back what they wanted. And uh, they, they said to her friends, you know, you should divide up the, the rest of her belongings and... And just take what you want, and the, the stuff that you don't want, you can give to charity, whatever it is. So, um, so my wife was going over to, to participate in that. And, and she asked me, are there any svarim, any books that you would like? 
And I said, well, if, 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 if you see something that you think that I would want to learn, take that. But only take what, it, what you really think I'm going to learn. So she said, okay. So she came back, and she had brought back three books from Rebbe Nachman of Breslov. And, you know, so I, I was glad that she had brought those books, because that's something that I'll, I'll really use. Um, and uh, later on that evening... Um, Judy, my wife, said that our, our, our son, our 11-year-old, Mendy, wanted to learn th- these books as an as a uplifting of the soul of the, for the Neshama, and Elias Neshama for Makol. And I looked at the books and I thought, you know something, they weren't really age-appropriate for him, meaning to say that they were very intense and complicated. And so I said, well, let him learn something else. And he can do that in, in her memory. And that will be just as good, and that'll be fine. And uh, my wife said, no, he wants to learn these books in her memory. And I said, well, no, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I think he should learn something else. And she said, no, I, he wants to learn these books. And so here we're like having an argument over these books. It seemed very strange. And I said, well, he can't learn these books by himself. He, he has to learn them with someone. And so she said, well, you learn them with him. Or I said, I'll learn them with him. And she said, fine. So that, that's what we concluded. So that, later on that evening, every once in a while we'll watch a, a movie as a family. doesn't happen too often, but we did. And more than every once in a while when that happens, I'll fall asleep while watching the movie as a family. And so it's, it's now late at night and I'm, you know, groggy and I just want to kind of crawl into bed. And, and you know, I, I often put my kids to sleep and when I do that, we, we go over a story or we try to learn something or something like this, you know. By the way, just as an aside, I heard from Rib Shlomo that... Um, Kids are especially open at bedtime. When you put them to bed, they're very spiritual because they sense intuitively that their neshamas are about to ascend. Because we know that, sort of the, the, spiritually speaking, the physics of sleep is that a large percent of your neshama actually rises up. And, so, and then it returns back, which is one of the reasons why you wash hands in the morning, which is to get rid of the, the aspect of the taste of tumas mace on your hands, but it's getting a little technical. But anyway, the idea is that kids intuitively sense that bedtime is a very spiritual moment. So they're very open to receiving, like, you know, more elevated thoughts at that time. So that's just a good thing to know. And also, just one of my favorite teachings, I can't talk about bedtime without just throwing this in. Reb Shlomo said that the way you put your child to bed is you say to him, I love you, and I need you, and Hashem loves you, and Hashem needs you, and you're beautiful. So you say that to your kid. And, you know, you can also say it to yourself. So, um, but anyway. So, um, I didn't, sometimes I just, I'm so tired, I just simply don't have the strength to go through a whole kind of bedtime story, or a book, or a learning something. I, I just don't have any strength. And like I said, I had just uh, fallen asleep on the couch. And yet somehow I woke up. I got this like second wind and I was completely awake. And I walked into my son Mendy's room and he had the books next to his bed. 
and he's ready to learn. So it was unusual. You know, because they had been downstairs the last I had looked. And so we were all ready to go. So I pick up one of the books. And I say, okay, I was drawn to this book. Uh, it's, uh, and I pick it up, and I hadn't seen this Rebbe Nachman book. I thought I had seen most of all the Rebbe Nachman books in English, but hadn't seen this one. And I start looking through it, and I'm struck by something, which is that what Nicole had written is taken word for word from this book. And it was very, it was, it was surprising and it wasn't surprising. What, what had happened was there are all these chapter heads, like for instance, Joy, um, Daily Path, all these chapter headings within the book. And, and Nicole took the first sentence in each of the chapters and used it as a one-liner under the chapter head. And the truth is, is that that in and of itself was a huge contribution and a real creative act on her part. And remember, she had done this, just she wrote this for herself. This was not meant to be published at all. So it was just for her. Um, but in other words, what what's so beautiful about it and what's so, I think, enduring about it is that you know, if the, the wisdom of Rebbe Nachman is so expansive and it's so deep. It's like, it's huge. And if you can get it down to the size of the book that this came out of, which is a small paperback, you know, short book, you think that's about as much as you can get it down to, right? So in her spiritual genius, she was able to actually condense that further onto one single page. So that, that's an awesome contribution, actually. That's an awesome contribution. Nonetheless, though, I was struck by the fact that this was directly from Rebbe Nachman, and it had been published in her name. So I was like, okay, well, let's see. This is now being run around the world in her name. What do I do at this point? And that was too large a thought for me to <laughs> approach at that hour of the night. <laughs> I couldn't wrap my mind around that. And by the way, just a, a life teaching that, that uh, I learned, and it's good to know, which is that if you have a big decision to make, don't make it when you're really tired or you're really hungry or you're sick. Don't make big decisions. And in fact... Here's an extra step. I don't know if I necessarily hold by this, but I know that there's wisdom in this one further step. Give it a night's sleep. Because oftentimes the next day, you'll just think about it differently than you think about it in the moment. So that's very important if you're making big decisions. If you're just going to, I'm going to write that email, I'm going to make that phone call, you know, just wait. Just wait for a moment. So anyway, I went to bed. I woke up, went to shul, davened, Came home, had a cup of coffee, a little something to eat, discussed it with my 17-year-old son. And then I, I had some clarity. And then I went right upstairs and I wrote an email. I wrote to H.com and I wrote to the Jewish Journal. And I explained to them just what had happened. And I suggested to them that instead of saying that this is by Mikol, she should rest in peace, that it should say compiled by Mikol from the teachings of Rebbe Nachman. 
right? Which I thought is, is accurate. It, it, it honors the contribution that she made, which I, I think is impressive and, and very real. But at the same time, is, is, is attributing it to the, to the source. As it says, by the way, there's a very important teaching from Pirkei Avos, which says that when you say a teaching in the name of the one who said it, it brings redemption to the world. And the way they learn that out is very interesting. It's from Megillus Esther. And um, it's a little bit involved, all the, all the background to that. But, but nonetheless, it brings redemption to the world to attribute a teaching to the person who said it. So, um, so I'm certain that, 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 that Mikol would have wanted that, certainly. No, there's no question. Um, so I wrote that email and then I'm driving to go to learn because that's my kind of my morning uh, Seder, my morning uh, routine. And so as soon as I send out that email correcting it and saying that it was in the name of Rebbe Nachman, I walk into the kolel and it's a large room and at that moment it just happened to be empty except for kind of one guy sitting in the back and one person standing in the front, and as I walk in, he's singing loudly, Rebbe Nachman, Nachman Me'uman, Nachman Me'uman, Rebbe Nachman Me'uman. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> and you should know, I've known this person for years. He's never mentioned Rebbe Nachman to me once, and I've never seen him behave like this, standing in the middle of the Kolel in the middle of this large room singing out at the top of his lungs a song. So, so as Reb Shlomo would say, what do we know? You know, what do we know? Okay. I wanted to share that. And um, let's keep on going. I mentioned, I want to say something very practical. We mentioned um, that, that Tammuz, this, this period of the year that we're in right now, is very intense. Spiritually speaking, it's very intense. And it's, it's really got associated with a lot of negativity. So, so I want to give you some advice in terms of how to deal with your own negative inclinations. That, that side of us that we all have which tries to bring us down and tries to defeat us and depress us and, 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 and cause us to give up. And, and so there's a, a dynamic that I've observed um, which is the following. You see, all of us, any of us who are dedicated to sort of refining ourselves and, and trying to just understand reality, the big picture and... and, and, and and trying to be good, basically. It, if you can narrow it down to a core instinct, it's, I think, we want to be sincere. And we want to be truthful. Right? We're, we're, we're trying to embrace the truth. And, and, and just to be good. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it in a, in a simpler way. So, what the Yetzirah, what the, what, the, what the negative inclination tries to do is, it tries to take our most precious spiritual attribute and use it against us. And let me, let me explain. Right? So, so I was talking to someone recently 
And this person wants to take on more observance. They, they want to they, they want to increase in, 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 in their, 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 their Torah um, attachment. And, and they, they said to me, you know something, my, my home isn't kosher. And it's too hard for me to make it kosher. I can't, I can't deal with making it kosher, basically. It's too many things. So, so what I said was, was, look, we're getting to the advice first, and then I'll, I'll tell you more about the, just the theory behind this in a moment. I said, look, I, I, I learned a teaching that made a big impression on me from the, the Alter Rebbe of Lubavitch. Um, and he said the following thing. It's a, it's a great piece of imagery. If you have a very thick log, it's impossible to light this thick log on fire with a single match. You can't do it. It can't be done. If you've ever made a fire, you know you can't have a big thick log and light it on fire with a single match. You can't. But if you break the log down into a lot of tiny little pieces, a lot of little pieces, then with one match you can actually light, you can, you can light that log. So it's very important when we get overwhelmed and with the mitzvot and things like that, you can break down a mitzvah into a lot of different small parts. And you can do one of the parts of the mitzvah. And then that will give you an entree into the mitzvah itself. So, for instance, it's true you've got, if you want to kosher your chicken, you've got, uh, you've got to kosher your kitchen, rather. You've got your oven that you've got to take care of. You've got your plates. You've got your silverware. You've got the food that you buy. It's a lot. It's, it, it's a big job. It really is. But Chabad will come to your house, wherever you live, <laughs> in the world, and for, I'm sure, a small donation, but really for free, they'll come and kosher your oven for you. So that's taken care of. That's one phone call. You want to take care of your plates? Go on the Internet. Click those plates. You've got plates. It's really, it's really that simple to buy plates these days. You just click and you've got some plates, honestly. We just bought some plates that way. Okay? Um, in terms of bringing your plates to a mikvah and things like that, I said to him, look, I, I'll take care of that. I'll do that for you, you know? And then I said, you know what? And instead of buying your chicken from the supermarket, you can just go to a kosher butcher. I mean, we have you know, a dozen of them on, on Pico alone. And even some of the supermarkets actually carry kosher meat, you know. So, so he said back to me, he said, you know something? He thought about it, he said, I'll tell my housekeeper to, to buy kosher meat from the, to buy kosher meat. I'll start there. And, and he got it. He, he really got it. And, 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 and so, Here's what the Yetzirah does. All right? So that's, that's sort of like a case example. But, but here's what the, the Yetzirah does, which is really ingenious. Here's how it uses our most sincere attribute against us. It says, you know something? If you're not going to do the whole thing, then you're really not doing it. So why even bother? In fact, it's hypocritical for you to only do part of it. 
And do you want to be a hypocrite? And then you say, no. No, the whole point of me wanting to do any of this is not to be a hypocrite. So, so it's a base. So listen to this, the, 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 the perversion of this logic. It's so evil. So if you really want to be a man of truth, don't do any of the mitzvah. <laughs> do you hear? Do you hear how brilliant, how brilliant that is from an evil standpoint? If you really want to be true and sincere, then you're going to be a hypocrite if you only do part of it. So don't do any of it. That way you can maintain your integrity. So what can this be compared to? Imagine you, you're walking on the street and there's a homeless person, right? Rahman al-Islam, lying on the, the sidewalk. And you can see the guy is in terrible shape. And he looks like he hasn't eaten in a long time. And you see him on the sidewalk and you say to yourself, you know what? This poor guy, I would really like to do something nice for this poor guy. I mean, look, he's miserable. You know what? He deserves a steak dinner. He deserves a steak dinner. But you know what? I only have a dollar in my pocket, so I can't give him a steak dinner. So you walk on and give him nothing. How does that sound? Does it make any sense whatsoever? Does it make any sense whatsoever? With a dollar, he could, or 50 cents or whatever it is, even a quarter, he could actually buy something in his wretched state that would actually help him. So this is us in our own souls, basically. Our own soul is dying for any part of any mitzvah. Any, every mitzvah is infinite. Even a part of a mitzvah is infinite. So if you can access even part of the mitzvah, then you're feeding your own soul, which is so desirous of that light, of that heavenly light. And to say, well, you know, because I can't do the whole thing, I'll give it nothing, doesn't make sense. So I think, hopefully you all see that, and hopefully you won't fall prey to that trap of hearing that voice in your head calling you a hypocrite if you're not doing 100% of the thing. And that you'll remember the advice of the Alter Rebbe to, if there's something that's hard, break it down into small pieces. And then that will give you an entree. And then you can take it from there. And by the way, this isn't just in terms of mitzvah performance. This is also in terms of mitos rectification, in terms of rectifying your own personality. If there's an aspect of yourself that you're struggling with, a person gets angry very quickly, or a person, you know, speaks Lashon Hara, like gossip or whatever it is, speaks about other people a lot, things like this, whatever it is, whatever is the personality aspect that's, that's ailing you. You can break that down also. So you say, you know something? From in the morning, I'll try not to do that. Or from the hours of X and X, I'll try not to do that. Or one day a week, I'll try not to do that. Whatever is the thing that, that, that plays to your strength, break it down and, and do it that way. You know, and, and, and that way you can actually really make progress. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. But it's real. Then it becomes real. Okay. By the way, just so you, you know, I heard uh, Rabbi Chaim Sitran say this. He said, I'm only half joking. And, and, and he meant it seriously, but it, it's going to sound a little funny. So he said, I'm only half joking when I say this. If you look at the story of Noah, Noah, after the flood, what happens, it's like a very way out kind of thing. 
The flood is fly, finally over. He gets out of the, the, the ark with all the animals and his family. He either gets castrated or sodomized by one of his sons. Right? There's a debate. And, you know, I don't know. It's not, you know, that's, that's, those are the choices on the menu. Castration or, you know, right? Or being sodomized by your son. So, you know, it's not... The choice is not great. You know? So, so... But what happened before that is that he planted a vineyard and he got drunk. And he fell spiritually. And somehow his son just attacked him. So, so what's the point? The point is that why did he take that drink to begin with? That's really the point. I'm sorry that I said something so sensational before the actual point I wanted to make. It sort of like is perhaps obscuring this point, which is really the point I wanted to make, which is that after being on the ark for a year, he plants a vineyard. And what Rabbi Sitran said was, you know what? He needed a drink. He needed a drink. I mean, he's basically charged now with starting the entire world all over again. That's a, that's a lot of pressure. That's, that's pretty overwhelming. It's pretty overwhelming. And so, now on a deeper level, on a more Kabbalistic level, I heard from Reb Shlomo that basically, Kabbalistically speaking, the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge was a grape. See, there are a lot of different understandings of what the actual fruit was. But Alpi Kabbalah, it was a grape. And so, so what he wanted to do was, he wanted to, now that the world was starting all over again, since Adam had basically sinned with the grape, he was planting a vineyard to correct the chet, the mistake of Adam of Rishon, the first person. So, so it's very deep what was going on there. But, so there's a lot, there's a lot to say about Noah planting a vineyard. But the, the main thing is that he was overwhelmed, as probably all of us would have been overwhelmed if we had been in his shoes at that point. So this strategy that I'm telling you to break down mitzvahs, to break down personality problems, to break down life's problems into small pieces is, is, is a very important teaching. Because we have to fight against getting overwhelmed. And life, by definition, is overwhelming. So, so that's... That's just something very, very practical. Okay. Now, I told you that I want to make the distinction between mysticism and superstition. And I think that this is, like I say, a very important boundary that we have to have in our mind. So, Tammuz is, is as I was saying, it's, it's historically been a very dark time for, for the Jewish people. Tammuz and Av, these next two months. And now Tammuz is really kicking in with, this, with the 17th of Tammuz. So, you see, God makes our brains. So, our brains are finite relative to God's infinity. Now, one of the great ironies of life is that we then take our finite brains and tell God, who's infinite, what he can and can't do. Which is actually 
quite silly, if you think about it. We, with our finite minds, tell God, who's infinite, what He can and can't do. And then, if God's actions seem mysterious to us, we go, well, therefore, there can't be a God. I mean, it's sort of like an orgy of bad math. You know? I mean, it's like, it's, it's really quite amazing, if you think about it. Just, just all the incorrect uh, conclusions that are drawn. Um, so, 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 to be, to be real, to be intellectually honest, we have to understand that there's only so much that our minds can fathom. That realm which our mind can't fully fathom is called the realm of mysticism. And we have ways of understanding what that is. We, we've had prophets. God has explained to us how, how these realms work. We've had holy masters who have had Ruach HaKodesh and, you know, in their purity and, and, and from received traditions from Moses who got the Torah from heaven. And there, there's so much that we know in terms of that which is what we describe in the mystical realm or the super-rational realm. However, it's very possible, and in fact it's very common, to say incorrect mystical information. In other words, you can't just make up things. You can't just say, okay, this is beyond your rational capacity to know. Therefore, if a black cat jumps in front of your path, that's bad luck. It's not bad luck. That's superstition. That's not mysticism. That's incorrect mysticism, which is superstition. Not everything someone comes up with just because it sounds, wow, that ooh, means that it's accurate or there's any source to it. And if someone tells you something which sounds way out, it is appropriate to say to them, what is the source for that? Because all of the things that are sort of like in that realm, we have to know the sources for. And they have to be good sources. They have to be good sources. And if you are practicing or being influenced by something which belongs to that realm, you yourself should know the source of that. And you should inquire what's the source of that with someone who knows. And you should learn it. Because the idea of the idea of really learning Torah is to have an entree in terms of embracing the whole of creation, that which is rational and that which is super rational. And for a person to sort of be fear driven and superstition driven is like completely guts the whole thing. You can't do that. Now, we have a mitzvah in the Torah which specifically says that we can't go by omens and things like that. If you want to see the source of it, it's, it's in uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 18, um, verse 10. And it says, There shall not be found among you one who causes his son or daughter to pass through the fire, who practices divination, an astrologer, one who reads omens, a sorcerer, or an animal charmer, or one who inquires of old, 
or Yudoni, or one who consults the dead. Okay? That's a lot of superstition all compacted into one, into one, uh, in one verse. So, so now, we have to understand something, which is we're saying that Tammuz is a bad time. Av is a bad time. And one of the things that we can't do, one of the mitzvahs, and it falls under the category of astrology, in the negative sense, by the way, you should know, there is a Torah-approved astrology, and then there's the superstition version of astrology. Okay? So, there is a Torah-hachma, the wisdom of, of, of astrology. There really is something. And it's very, very deep in terms of the character of the times and things like that. The times, different times of the year, have a personality quality. But that doesn't mean that they have an inherent power. And that's where you cross a line. Or that's where a person crosses a line. You can't endow a time with a power. Because if the time has a power, then all of a sudden there are two powers in the world. There's God and there's this time. So you can't, you can't cross that line. We can say that a period of the year has a personality to it. And that personality can even be negative. And we can even take precautions because of the negativity of that period of time. And all of that is kosher. And all of that is permitted. In fact, it even goes according to halacha. For instance, during the nine days, we're in the three weeks right now, the last part of the three weeks are called the nine days. A person isn't supposed to travel because it's considered you shouldn't go swimming if you don't have to. Things like this, because it's sort of like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a dangerous quality to this time. Not because the time itself is dangerous, just historically, there have been patterns of bad things that have happened during this time. So to give you an example... If you study the stock market, there are certain times, certain rhythms in the stock market where it's known it goes down and other times where it's known it goes up. And people who are serious investors study the rhythms, the algorithms of the stock market, and they know when certain times it's good to avoid and certain times it's good to jump in. This is a known thing. So if there's a historical period where an abundance of negative things have happened, then we say that's not the time to invest in a simcha, say. Right? Now, interestingly, I'll tell you something. This is kind of a little mind-bending, and I don't fully understand it, but I understand the beginning part of it, so I'll just tell it to you, which is, during these three weeks, there aren't weddings. We don't make weddings. Okay? I guess in emergency situations, you can have a wedding. But you can get engaged. You can get engaged. Now, they say, why can you get engaged during this time? Because normally speaking, you shouldn't even get engaged. If you're not getting married, what are you getting engaged for, right? It's a simcha. It's like a, a celebration at this time, which is, a, like we say, just not the best foundation to, to begin a thing on. So, so the rabbis say that because maybe someone else will ask your wife to marry them. Now, that starts to get very tricky because you say, well, wait a second. What, was, what about the whole concept of Bashir? And how can someone get engaged to my wife or to my husband during this period, right? Like the, so anyway, I, I can't 
give you the next part of that conversation. You have to look into it more yourself. But you can get engaged. You can get engaged during this time. Now, by the way, just because we're on the subject, I'll tell you a very interesting halakha that doesn't exactly relate, but it's a, it's a very interesting thing to know, which is you don't have to show up at your own wedding. According to halakha, you can send a messenger to marry your wife for you. <laughs> and as far as I know, a woman can also send a messenger as well. A, a shliach, it's called, you know. And so, theoretically, you could attend a wedding, as far as I understand, where neither the bride or the groom is present. Um, certainly not, certainly not the groom. I, I think that this also holds for the bride. We'd have to double check that. Now, here's something really kind of funny and heartbreaking at the same time, which is the Gomorrah says, what's the definition of a bad shliach, of a bad messenger? One who you send to marry a woman on your behalf and marries her on his own behalf. <laughs> that would be the definition of a bad shliach of a bad messenger. But such a thing could happen. Such a thing could absolutely happen. And I'm sure in the history of the world it's happened. So, you know, it reminds me of a story which is a, a, uh, a rich man uh, has one son and he wants to bequeath his whole estate. He has a lot of money. He wants to give it all to his son. But it happens to be that his son is in a faraway land. So all he has is his servant there. His servant is the only witness. So he says to the servant, I'm leaving everything to his son. So, and then to, to my son. And then the man dies. And then the servant is a shady character. And the servant says, you know what? The son's not here. I'm keeping it all for myself. And then the servant says, well, you know something? I served this man for so long. I, I have to deliver the news to the son that the man is dead. It's only right. And also he has a soft spot in his heart. He says, you know, it's such a big estate. I'll let him take one thing. So the servant goes to the son and he says to the son, your father died. He left everything to me. But he said that you can take one thing that belonged to him. So the son's very smart. He thinks he goes, okay, I'll take you. <laughs> so the son got everything back. It's a deep story. It's actually a deep story, you know. Sometimes by getting one thing, you can get everything. You know, if someone understands that there's one God and they really understand that there's one God, then in, from that one piece of knowledge, if they think and think and think and think, and really look at the world, and look at history, and look at life, they'll get everything. They will eventually get everything. If they have the right teachers, and they, they really are honest, they'll get everything based on that one thing. So, so because of the historical negative aspect of Tammuz and Av. So, so the rabbis say you're gun shy. We're, we're gun shy, and we're right to be gun shy. And so don't don't make celebrations at this time. And that's what it is. Not because the time has an inherent power. Okay. So that's. And by the way, 
we've got the positive version of this as well. The positive version of this is in Adar. Adar is a joyous time. But again, not that the time itself has an inherent power to it. But the rabbis even say, if you have a court case, go and, and go to the judge in Adar. Because our historical track record in Adar is so positive that you're going to increase your, your chances of winning. Again, not because of the power of Adar, because historically speaking, we've got a great track record, so that's the time to do it. You see, so this might sound like a subtle distinction to you, but it's a very important distinction, because monotheism is actually a very radical theology. To say that there's no other power in the entire world except God, that's a very radical thought. So one has to be very careful when they start to attribute power to things and, and, and not fully understand the, the consequences of doing such. Okay, so here's a trap to avoid. So, so let me just say something about the, the, the 17th of Tammuz itself. And I saw something wild. I heard something and it just seemed so way out. I couldn't believe it even. So I, I went on the internet to check it and I was able to confirm it. I'm not saying I've, I've got proof for it, but I, I, did, I did see it with my own eyes on the internet and, you know, you can, you can research it further if, if this just sounds too, too crazy to you. Okay? So, so what, is the, what is the thought? The, the, the thought is the following. Which is So everybody knows that the Jews were in uh, Iraq for thousands of years. You know, Iraq, Iran, we were there for, you know, the, the longest time when we were exiled from the destruction of the first base Amigdash. And that's what we're fasting over today. By the way, a very interesting, important halacha to know. If you don't know that it's a fast day and you wake up and you have some breakfast, say, you, and then you find out it's a fast day, you're permitted to start fasting from that point on, and it counts as though you fasted. Okay? So that's maybe an application of what we were talking about earlier, about breaking things down. You know what I mean? Or not thinking, oh, I did something off, so I can't do it anymore. So, so, so one, one can still fast if, if, if they would like to. And of course, you can make up all these fast days, too, on, on, a, on a day which isn't normally a fast day, but... You can do it as a makeup. That's that's the uh, that's the halacha. So so this is the seventeenth of Tammuz, and when when we bombed the nuclear reactor that Saddam Hussein was building um, a number of years ago, uh, Saddam Hussein went on record. He himself went on record. This for sure you can verify as being the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. He was like really into that because that was like one of the greatest ancient kings from that from that from that period and from that part of the world. So he saw himself as Nebuchadnezzar coming back. Now Nebuchadnezzar was one of these guys who destroyed the base of Mikdash, you know. So 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 what did he name? What did he name the nuclear reactor that he was building? You know what he was looking to build atomic weapons at? It was called Tammuz 17. 
That was the name of the reactor that they bombed, Tammuz 17, which is, which is what happened on, Tammuz 7, on the 17th of Tammuz, which we're commemorating right now. The walls of Jerusalem were, were broken down. So, so this is, it's like, it's way out, you know? It's really way out. Um, you know, not, not too long ago, I guess after uh, the, the Twin Towers were, were knocked down, um, I, I was talking with a friend of mine, and he told me that he was talking with someone else, and the person said, um, you know, all this Torah stuff, it's so outdated, and it's so old, and everything like that, it's not relevant. And my friend, who studies Torah, said back to him, really? He says, what do, you have in the, what do you have in the Torah? You have Jacob, right, who's from the Jewish people, is fighting and is being fought with by Esau, which we know symbolizes the Western world, the, 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 the Christian nations, and Yishmael, who represents the, the father of the Arab nations. That's the whole struggle in the Torah. It's Esau, Yishmael, and Yaakov. And what are the what seems to be one of the primary locus of fights in the world today? Israel, the West, and the Arab nations. So it's very hard to say that the blueprint for all of this is somehow irrelevant or isn't somehow acting itself out on the front page of every single newspaper every single day. I mean, these forces are... are they never stopped. This story has never stopped being told. So, so what happened on this day? A number of things. But the primary thing was Moses comes down from the mountain with the tablets, Moshe has the luchos, and he smashed them today. That happened today. Well, actually, today is the 18th. Today is the 18th. And actually, that in itself is, is worth just mentioning. Because that means that the fast, really the true fast day, which is the 17th, was yesterday on Shabbos. And we push it off to today. It's called the Nidcha. We push it off till today. Okay? Now, as far as I understand, Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, which is really the culmination of this period, which marks the destruction of the Holy Temple, the base of Migdash, both, both of them and many other historical tragedies, is also going to be on Shabbos this year. So now listen to how striking this is. Because, because the prophet Zechariah, God promises us through him that these days are going to turn into great holidays. And in fact, not only are these days, these fast days going to be great holidays, this period between the 17th of Tammuz and the ninth of Av is going to turn into a great celebration. Now, I heard in the name of the Marasha something very interesting. If you count the number of days between these two things, these three weeks, it's 21 days. And they're going to be days of great celebration. And he says that this correlates with the exact number, 21 days, which is between Rosh Hashanah and Shmini Atzeres, which is the capital of all of the holidays of the Jewish year. 
They're all compressed together. So these 21 days parallel those 21 days. And right now, we haven't caught up in history in terms of them being days of celebration, but it's coming. It's coming. We're getting there. So what's interesting, though, is that these are days of celebration, or going to be days of celebration. And right now, they're, they're, when they're, they're happening on Shabbos. Tisha B'Av is going to happen on Shabbos. Yesterday, the 17th of Tammuz, was on Shabbos. Which means, what did we do? We celebrated. We ate. We danced. We, we, we celebrated like we're going to do for all time on that day. So in other words, there's like a, a little taste of the redemption already in the air right now. That's, that's just the point that, that I want to make. So that's, it's a special thing. It's a special thing. So, so, so there's something very, very deep about this day, which is that um, if you know the... So why did Moses smash the, the tablets? Because the Jews were worshipping the golden calf. Actually, it was really the Arab Rav, the, the other nations that went out with the Jews from Egypt that, that did 99% of the whole episode. But nonetheless, everyone converted when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. So this was the Jewish people. So they, they, they made this golden calf. But as, as they were planning on making it, they go up to Aaron, the high priest, and they say to him, you know, we want to make this golden calf because God showed everyone. It was like the final test before the ultimate redemption. If you, if you want to hear more on this, I'm just summarizing everything. I, I made a talk called The Final Test. Um, and it's on Torah on iTunes.com. So you can check that out. It's an it's a in-depth explanation of the golden calf and, and all of these events right now. But anyway, so... so so Aaron says to them, you know, he doesn't, the Jews think that, that Moses is dead. God is giving us this final test, basically, and shows us the coffin of Moshe. The Jewish people think we're without a leader. That's why we want to make this golden calf. It was just a test. To see, ultimately, are we just going to rely on God? But, but anyway. Aaron wants to delay it because he knows Moshe is going to come down. So he tells them, you know what? Go to your wives and your children and get their gold earrings and their gold and bring it back to me. Now, if you think about it, this is a brilliant delay tactic. And it should have worked. It should have worked because he didn't say, bring me gold. He said, go to your wives and get her gold earrings and your children's gold. So here's what I think he thought was going to happen, was that people would go up to their wives and say, give me your gold. Give me your gold earrings. And they're going to say back, why should I give you my gold? Or I like my gold. Or these are my earrings. I'm not giving it. What do you need it for? What's so important? Oh, we want to make this idol. You want me, you want me to do what? Because it's a known fact that the women did not participate in the sin of the golden calf. None of the women did. So, so in order to get their permission, that they're like all of a sudden now funding the, the, the whole sin, they're never going to do that. So Aaron had a brilliant plan. So what did the people do in their lust to make this thing? 
they ripped the earrings out of the people's ears. That's how into it they were. Right? So, and then they bring back the gold. Okay, and then they make the golden calf. But, here's the key thing. Aaron says, tomorrow, because he wants to delay them, because he knows Moshe's coming, he says, tomorrow is going to be a holiday. Now, I heard from Rabbi Wolfson, on a very, very deep level, what was happening was the following. That that was going to be, what was the holiday? So, on the simple level, the holiday was, okay, we'll make a holiday for the golden calf tomorrow. And that was the delay tactic. But on a much deeper level, what Aaron was saying was, there's this other very big holiday coming. In other words, Shavuos, the receiving of the Torah, is really a two-part holiday. The first part of the holiday was God speaking out the Torah at Mount Sinai and us saying that we'll accept it. And then there was the sealing of the deal, if you will. Moshe coming down from heaven with the tablets and us being together with the tablets and Moshe on terra firma, on firm ground. And that was the completion of the acceptance of the Torah. And that's the holiday that he was referring to. Which is like, basically, if you think about it, that's, that's like the final fixing. And it answers a question for me, by the way. Which is that, mystically, and the Talmud says this, we reach the level of Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, before they ate from the tree of knowledge when we accepted the Torah. So if we already reached the level of Adam and Eve before they ate from the tree of knowledge, why didn't Mashiach come at that point? I mean, what more has to be done? You reach the level of Adam and Eve before they ate from the tree of knowledge. I mean, that's pretty good, right? I mean, what? You know, game over, right? Well, apparently not. So now, when you understand that there was a part two, which was the 17th of Tammuz, that holiday when Moshe comes down 40 days later with the tablets, all of a sudden, it, it, at least for me, it makes a lot more sense. So, let me just finish up with something that uh, I think is very striking and just worth knowing, which is that the, the five books, the Torah itself, ends with the smashing of the luchos, the smashing of the tablets. And it's not very well known, because it's kind of, it's kind of uh, encrypted. Um, it says that... Well, I'll find it, I'll read you the, ex, the, the exact words... It says, Never again has there arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom Hashem had known face to face, as evidenced by all the signs and wonders that Hashem sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Paro and all of his courtiers and all his land. And here's the last verse. And by all the strong hand and awesome power that Moshe performed before the eyes of all Israel. So the question is, what did he do before the eyes of all Israel? So if you look at the Rashi, on the very end of the Chumash, it says, he broke the tablets. And God loved it when he did it. So, so it says in the Gemara, 
What was so great about Moshe smashing the tablets? And this is very, very deep. This is very, very deep. It says in the Torah, you can't worship idols. And then, you know, there are very negative consequences to that. So when Moshe smashed the tablets, it was an act of protection for the Jewish people and love for the Jewish people that, that maybe they won't be chayev, maybe they won't be accountable or liable for breaking that if, so to speak, the tablets have been smashed. Okay, it didn't work a thousand percent, meaning to say we did still bear spiritual consequences for, for, the, for the golden calf to this day. But nonetheless, the Gomorrah says this was Moshe's thought process, which is very, very interesting. In other words, he was, you see, the way it's, it's usually portrayed was Moses was angry at us and for our spiritual weakness and just broke it for that reason. But what's so beautiful about this understanding is that it was an act of trying to protect us. So, so that's really something. And let me just say something on a, more of a homiletical level. But we get to the end of the Torah. And if you get to the end of the Torah, you can make a big mistake. You can think that you understand fully what the Torah says. And the Kutzka Rebbe said, what is it, you know, we finish the Torah on Simchas Torah. That's what that holiday is. We finish it and then we begin again. So he asked his Hasidim, he said, what are we celebrating on Simchas Torah? And he answered that we've gotten to the end of the Torah and that we still haven't begun the Torah yet. We've gotten to the end and we know we still haven't even begun because the Torah is infinite. And so, so to speak, by smashing the luchos, the Torah ending with that, on some level we're saying that, you know something, any illusion that I have that I fully understand, I'm smashing that illusion that I fully understand and I have to begin again. And one final, one final thought on this, on the smashing of the luchos, that, that the Torah is really telling the story on just a strict narrative level of the Jews entering into the land of Israel. And at the end of the five books, they don't enter into the land of Israel. That's a very surprising bit of storytelling, wouldn't you say? By the greatest storyteller ever. We only enter in the sixth book, which is Sefer Yeshua, the book of Joshua, which in terms of its status, in terms of the the Torah is like way lower than the first five books. So the first five books is all it's telling is a story about God taking the Jews into Israel and he doesn't take us into Israel. We don't get into Israel yet. There's no closure. There's no closure. And I think on a very deep level, what that's telling us is the reality of the world as our soul relates to God the journey never ends. We've got this life in this world, and after 120, our soul leaves our body, 
and it continues to travel through the infinity of God and it never stops. We never get there. We never get there. That's why the Jews don't enter into Israel at the end of the Chumash. Because we never stop traveling. We never stop getting closer to God. It never ends. It never ends. So closure would be a lie. You get to know more and more and more and more and more and more and more. But even angels say, where is the place of God's glory? Even angels can't wrap their minds around the infinity of God. Just with your permission, one last thing. So, I think everybody knows that the holiest name of God, the Yudke Vavke, also known as the Shemavai or the Tetragrammaton, Yud and He and Vav and He, there's 12 different possible combinations for the name of God. And it correlates with the 12 months of the year. And so there's one permutation, it's called a Tziruf, for each month of the year. So Tammuz has a Tziruf also, a permutation also. And it's the name of God spelled backwards. Now, the name of God, yud in and vav in is an expression of compassion. And so to reverse the name of God, to spell it backwards, shows undin, on, on, on strictness or judgment, right? Now, interestingly, each combination of Hashem's name correlates the four letters with four words from Tanakh, from, from the Torah. So what four words correlate with, with Tammuz, which is the name of God spelled backwards? So it comes from Megillus Esther, from the story of Purim. It's right after Haman has left the first feast with Ahasuerus and Esther. So Haman, who's like, you know, the culmination of evil, is exulting. I mean, he's got this, he's like the only guest invited to the party with, with the king and the queen. Like, it's amazing. And he's riding high and he leaves the party and he sees Mordecai and Mordecai refuses to bow down to him. And now Haman is like livid, like as, 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 as happy as he was, now he's just furious. And he says these amazing words. He says, all of this means nothing to me, so long as I see that you, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate and, and not down. Right? That's in, um, if you want to see it, that's uh, chapter 5, verse 13. So if you look at the words that all of this means nothing to me, in Hebrew it's, enenu shoveli. No, I'm sorry. So, so, if you look at the last letters of those four words, okay? It's the name, it's the yud vav spelled backwards, which would be he and vav and he and yud. Zeh, he, enenu, vav, shove, he, li, yud. The last letters of those four words spell it out. Now, interesting, and this is a good... Klal, a good foundation for you to know. But anyway, let me finish the, the thought. So, so Rabbi Wilson says something very beautiful. And this will sort of wrap up our, 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 our learning for now on this subject that the times don't have inherent powers to them. So, 
So if, if you have <coughs> the name of God being spelled backwards, that's, 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 that's intense. That shows on Gvura, on Din. But Rabbi Wolfson points out that this is coming during the story of Purim. And that the essence of Purim is that everything gets reversed. Everything gets turned upside down. The day that's marked for our destruction actually becomes a day of eternal parting. So, so, just like, so just like the name of God is spelled backwards here, it's going to be reversed and it's going to be righted. And these times which are sad times are going to become times of celebration. And all of this is hinted at by the fact that Tammuz is being drawn by from Megillus Esther, which is Purim, which is all about reversals. The whole nature of this time is going to be reversed. So in other words, the, the negativity, if you posit one God and you posit that God is good, the negativity can only go so deep. Even if you say to me, well, this time is negative, and I've got proof for you that it's negative and that it's bad and that it has a power to it. Even the name of God is spelled backwards for this time. But here you see that it's going to be reversed again. And it's going to become a time of celebration again. So in other words, within an infinite good God, negativity can only penetrate so deeply. And then it ceases to become relevant at all. So in the here and now, we have to behave according to the times that we're in right now. We have to be careful. These are sad times. It's true. But nonetheless, we can't lose sight of the bigger picture. Which is that it's all going to become celebration. And one final, final thing, just to really finish with, sincerely. And it's a teaching I shared before, but it's, it's so good. It says in the Talmud that when Adar comes in, that we have to increase in Simcha, we have to increase in happiness. And when Av comes in, okay, Tammuz and Av are like partners, okay? We're in Tammuz and Av, but Tammuz and Av are partners. When Av comes in, we decrease in Simcha, decrease in happiness. Now, it could have said we increase in sadness, but it didn't. It says decrease in happiness. So, in other words, in Adar, we increase in simcha, in happiness. In Av, we decrease in happiness. Either way, it's happiness. <laughs> A person always has to be happy. That's, that's the essence. That's the essence. So you're either going up in happiness or down in happiness. But it's always within the, the getter, the paradigm of happiness. Okay, so anyway, we should hear good times. And listen, I don't know what's going to happen a minute from now. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? So let's stay positive. <laughs>